This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life. Each week, new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms. Now here's your host, first-class life mentor and certified profiting from your passions coach, Kate Fessler. Welcome to Change Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler. Today, I'll be talking with photographer and artist, Danny McDonough. Danny's love of photography began in 1986 when she was lent a 35 millimeter camera for an assignment in art class. That was it for her. In fact, she is still quite happy with those images. Danny's formative years were spent playing out in the woods of Western Kentucky. Prior to starting her photography and art business in 2013, Danny worked in the mortgage business for over 23 years. The most challenging exam of her life was a Series 7 and 63 securities license, and she is so proud she passed and stretched her brain enough to do it. Danny has been married to her sweetie Andy for over 16 years and is the proud mom of two children, both a boy and a girl, and she is still beaming that they were both chosen to receive humanitarian awards at their school. As everyone knows, it's what's on the inside that counts. It was an honor to learn that their peers and teachers saw their goodness, too. Networking with women's groups is Danny's favorite way to get the word out about her business. Al dente pasta is one of her life's great passions. Okay, maybe obsession. Danny is a sucker for nature, birds, sunrises, sunsets, love, truth, joy, kindness, and a well-lit, flattering portrait. Her motto is, may we all be seen and remembered in our best light. Welcome, Danny. Hi, thank you for having me. Let's go back to the beginning. You grew up in the woods of Western Kentucky. Tell me what that was like. That was surreal for me. I grew up in a small country town. I moved to that area in third grade. Met my best friend who both transplanted to the same area. But I went to school where everyone's grandparents and great-grandparents all had been growing up together. And uh, so I felt like a fish out of water. Mm. Lots of opportunities there. (laughs) (laughs) And how long were you in Kentucky? Did you go through your whole school uh, schooling there? Yes, I graduated high school and started going to a community college in a nearby, nearby town called Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And so then I was there in that area from eight until 19 years old when I moved to Washington. Mm. I've been to Kentucky once. I was privileged to attend the Kentucky Derby many, many years ago. I remember being awed by the women's hats and the fact that the men were wearing wool suits and ties in really hot and humid weather that couldn't have been comfortable at all. It wasn't comfortable. I've been to the Derby one time. It's been about five years ago. And let me tell you, they dress to the nines, stiletto heels, the most fancy hats, and it is quite a scene. Hmm. What was your vision when you were in Kentucky of what your life would be like? Were you 
When you were a young woman starting out, what was the definition of success that you were going to work towards? I had a real sense that being in a small rural country town really wasn't where I was going to be long term. I have dreams of moving to the city, having a flat, a studio, a place that was a place to create. And I had a sense that that was going to happen for me one day. Mm. But you went into the mortgage business. What drew you to that? That was magic, complete happenstance. So when I moved to Washington, I went to the UPS, the University of Puget Sound, and I went to look for those billboards, rooms to rent. I pulled off that tag and called the number and found a nice family that had a room to rent near the university. I made friends with their daughter and we became really close friends. I ended up moving out of that house to go move in with her. She hired one of those headhunters to find her a job and they, uh, associates finance company ended up hiring her and we were roommates. We carpooled together and I would get a ride with her on the way to work and I would help her pull credit reports in the morning. I would help her get started with her day. And then I would go to my two mall jobs across the street. But literally by that friendship and that opportunity of helping in the morning, I was then hired temporary part-time to permanent part-time to full-time and literally launched my entire mortgage career from that opportunity. Hmm. So you were in that business during the housing bubble. Did you see that coming? I was 19 or 20 years old. I had no perspective and I did not see that coming. Um, Are you talking about the 2008 crisis? Mm -hmm. Surviving that? Yes. I did feel like that was a bit much. I was working as a mortgage broker at the time, and you were able to do zero down payment, zero income verification, poor credit. You could give everybody a loan by just fogging up a mirror. And somehow that just felt wrong. Mm-hmm. So that Did, part of it, yeah, was, was very, was very telling. Do you know if any of your clients ended up losing their homes? I do have a friend that ended up buying at the height of it. She did not lose her home, but she was able to sell it short. So Mm. they were able to take advantage of the programs to kind of escape the drama and start fresh. Mm. So how did that affect your work or the way you thought about the work you were doing? It caused a real strong cleanup in the business. So people that weren't doing strong business that I might tease and say they acted like used car salesmen or something those were all gone. You had to become licensed. You needed to be registered. And so I really felt like it cleaned things up. It made it a more honorable profession. And then it was just true lending that was being done after that. Real income, real deposits, real credit. And so I feel like it's just made things stronger for lenders and for clients, investors as well. Is that when you had to take those exams that you say you had to stretch your brain to pass? Yeah, apparently the Series 7 and 63 is harder than the CPA exam, which is known for being infamously challenging. It was because of an opportunity that we had to sell REITs 
real estate investment trusts. And it was something we were going to do in addition to, I say we, my husband and I met in the mortgage business and we, both of us uh, took that exam and took that second job opportunity to be involved with those investments. Okay. So you are married to your sweetie, Andy, for 16 years and you met, you, did you both work in the same place? Was he a mortgage broker too? Yes, he was a mortgage lender. We were both working for, let's see, at the time... Well, I think it was um, AmeriQuest, and he moved out here from Minneapolis. He came to my office in Bellevue to interview with our boss, and then he ended up becoming a peer manager in the same group that I was in. Mm. Was it love at first sight? It was an indication, but it was not love at first sight. I actually took a little coming around because I was a senior manager at the time. I felt like I was so worldly, so established. And I thought, oh, isn't he cute? He looks so young and so fresh. I, <laughs> I did not give him the credit that he was actually due. It, it was not apparent to me right away. <laughs> well, apparently he proved himself to you. And then some. He sure did. He is not to be denied that one. He's quite a powerhouse. Is he still in the mortgage business? He is. He is a um, area manager for Home Street Bank, and he's covering a number of different territories and doing good work in the world. Awesome. Speaking of doing good work in the world, tell me about your kids. They both won humanitarian awards. That's so wonderful. Tell me about that. Like, what is that award and, and what did they do to, to receive that honor? You know, thank you for asking about that. I am extraordinarily proud of those children. The Seymour Kaplan Award is a award given by your peers, your classmates and your teachers vote who they feel really shows that community spirit, who is kind to other people, who is inclusive. And the our, our kids were chosen for that award and they were nominated multiple years. And I remember standing there, the year that both of my kids earned that award in the same ceremony. And I was just really struck by the honor that both of my kids would receive that. And that, I don't know about you, but I feel like kids kind of come into the world how they are and you can, you can tweak them here or there, but it was a great honor to see that other people saw what I knew was in them. Mm. Well, I think there's, you know, there's nature and then there's nurture. And I think that probably some credit goes to you and your husband for the way you've raised them. Hopefully didn't do too much. I'm proud of those kids. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about al dente pasta. <laughs> All day. So what, what are you obsessed with? What is so fascinating about al dente pasta for you? Have you ever been served some pasta with some bloated, soggy noodles? Yes. That is just a sad, sad thing. I remember having a conversation with some friends and we were kind of talking about what our passions are or things that we're kind of snobby about. And I said, okay, my family would agree. I'm a little snobby about my pasta. It needs to have that bite between your teeth. It needs to be satisfying. It needs to be cooked well in a broth for flavor and with that care and attention. And if you would just give me some bloated pasta, I would just like lovingly put that to the side because for me to have 
all those precious carbs and love that food, it needs to be done with care. And that's something that is important to me. (laughs) (laughs) So do you make pasta at home? Are you a pasta cooking queen? Or is it just sort of your um, uh, obsession when it's served to you by others? (laughs) It is a multi-level obsession. And the actual cooking of it will come one day. But right now, it's the love and preparation of cooking it where it has that extra bite, it's cooked with love and flavor. And I will choose my Italian restaurants based on how lovingly they care for their pasta, for sure. Mm. Well, we probably don't want to talk about them on air, but you'll have to give me some of those recommendations. Delighted. (laughs) (laughs) We've got to take a short break. When we come back, trading numbers for images and following a dream. Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's Virtual Office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's Virtual Office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's Virtual Office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome back. You are listening to Change, Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and my guest today is photographer and artist, Danny McDonough. Danny, you were first introduced to and fell in love with photography way back in 1986. Tell me about that experience. Mr. Bryant in my high school art class gave us the assignment to take photographs with this 35 millimeter camera. And I went about the schoolyard taking photographs and whatever caught my eye. Once we got the opportunity to develop those pictures, I was quite pleased with what I saw. And after that, I'd often be carrying a 110 camera and saving my money to ship off my rolls of film to get developed. And it just became something where I often just had that camera on me. And a lot of my photos would end up in the school yearbook. And I was just sort of known for for loving, for loving it. Hmm. Well, you've said you're still quite happy with those images. Did you keep some? Do you have some like framed on the wall in your home? I don't have them framed on my wall at this time. I may have to dig them out. I believe I still have some hard copy photographs of them. And I remember taking a photograph from the rear view, the, the rear view, no, not the rear view, the passenger window reflection. Like I saw in the mirror, an image of a tree. And I took that photograph or some of my sister and her friends on the swings. I'll see if I can dig those up. Mm. So you just sort of had a natural talent, a good eye for um, image construction and whatever else the technical terms are. <laughs> I suppose so. Now that I got some good um, encouragement and feedback with that. So all these years, you must have been a very, very young child in 1986. That was 30 plus years ago. Did you continue to take photographs as a hobby while you were in the mortgage business? Or was there a time when you put down the camera for a while? I certainly sat that down. I was full on in mortgage lending for 23 plus years. And that was a time where I needed to make a name for myself, make a living and a 
security for myself. You know, I took photos here and there, but it took a backseat to the real world reality of survival. Mm -hmm. And yet your vision when you were a young woman involved a studio, which you sort of had faith that would happen for you one day. Did you ever think about that? Like as you were going through your day-to-day work, um, you know, as a goal of something that, oh yeah, I remember someday. You know, I, to be honest with you, I felt like it would be the dream I would pursue if I came into a lot of money or if there was a tragedy in my life and I was all alone in the world, then I would recreate myself and, and I would go pursue something like that. I never considered it to be an actual viable option. I also had to shake those comments from my adults around me who said, well, don't go do that because that's not work and you need to go make money to pay the bills and art doesn't do that. So Mm -hmm. I certainly had those impressions I needed to shake off. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people feel exactly like that. I think you just articulated probably some of the things that run through people's heads all the time when they're thinking about, oh, I wish I could, but, right? It's true. Do you remember those magazines uh, back when, you know, quite a few years ago, and they would say, will you draw this turtle and you can submit it and you could, you know, maybe you could take an art course or something, you know, Uh how you would be a a unicorn or a turtle or something in a, in a magazine and you would just duplicate it. And I thought, well, I'm pretty good at that. I can actually duplicate that by sight pretty darn well. And I remember showing maybe showing my dad, look at that. I think I could, I could do this. And, uh, you know, that got shut down pretty promptly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the old, you can't make any money doing that. Yeah, put, work your atten- is- put your effort into something more productive, right? Exactly. Work is a four letter word and you need to focus on getting the job done. It's not supposed to be nice. It's not supposed to be good. Just get out there and make some money. Yeah. Well, love is a four letter word too. Just saying. Isn't that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so you ended up, you started your photography business in 2013. Were you still working in the mortgage business or did you leave that behind altogether to start this? Yeah, that's an excellent question. What happened is my husband a year to a higher level position that required more and more travel. So then it became obvious for us to have any stability at home, I would step away from the mortgage business that required a lot of time and attention and allow myself to do something that had more flexibility so I could be here with our children, be our safe home base for them, and allow him to launch and do his good work in the world without our family compromising. Mm. How old were your kids at the time? So now that has been, um, I suppose, around six and eight. Mm, Okay. So was there one defining moment? I mean, you said you needed more stability for your for your family. But when you said to yourself, you know, I have to make a change. And were you propelled more by wanting to leave that business and create a stable home for your family or by wanting to move toward, hey, there's that dream in the back of my mind. Maybe this is a step in that direction. 
So I had a session with a friend of mine, Debbie Lacey. She has a Ready, Set, Mindset. And she's someone that I knew through other circles. And we sat down and had a, a coffee and a chat. And she asked me that telltale question. If money didn't matter, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And of course, money matters, but I still answered the question. And I said, well, if really money didn't matter, I would go to art school. I would learn to paint. I would dig into my photography more. I would learn so many different mediums for creating art. I would just go into that world. And she said to me, well, what is something that you could make money with today? And I said, Mm -hmm. I feel confident in my photography skills that I could charge money today. And so there we go. That was my quick one session. And I opened up my business and started right away. What was it like for you starting your own business? Did you find it easier, more difficult, or about what you had anticipated? I found it to be more difficult because where I may have been, I learned to be brazen in my mortgage world. I have to learn new skills because this is now my art. This is now a more of more about me and I can more vulnerable than I might've been in discussing home financing. Mm-hmm. I think that's a common experience for people who especially have been employees of companies and who then start their own business because you're right, then it becomes about you and your skills or your talents and something that's very personal to you as opposed to you know, something that your employer asks you to do and you're very good at it, but it's still, you're not selling yourself like you have to when you have your own business. And uh, I I don't, I actually don't know anyone who's ever started a business who hasn't run into that. Yeah, it is definitely a big, a big swing. And I recognize I'm on the learning curve. And so wherein do you go ahead and be verbal and get out there and be brave when you know it's not even yet your best work? Ah, well, that's when the perfectionist <laughs> needs to be <laughs> silenced, right? Say, well, you know, how it's, it's not, how do you know it's not, you know, it's, it's other people may feel like it's perfectly wonderful. And we are often our own worst critic. So yes, you're right. It's that can definitely hold you back. It can. And I've had the concept in my mind when I'm I was doing I was room parent for both of my kids in school. I was growing this young business. I'm learning all new skills. And I thought to myself at times, well, maybe I should just relax and be present at the Mom, I can. What's wrong with that? Why can't I be comfortable with with that? Mm-hmm. But yet there is an entrepreneur in me that must be heard because if I get a free five minutes, I'm thinking, oh, I should make a flyer. Oh, I should uh, make a post on Facebook. Oh, I should talk about my new art resin I'm excited about. It doesn't matter that I, maybe I, I just can't fight it. There's something that has to be expressed in me. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because I have gone through the same thing in my life. And I think that many people, when they 
start out on a particular path and then it's it's kind of hard and they think why can't I just be happy like everyone else is happy with their Mm -hmm. whatever life they're leading why can't I just be happy with this why do I have to want more Mm -hmm. and it's just it's just a particular you know that's that's who you are right and you need to accept that and find out what that more is and and work towards it it's true. I have to say that I am finally catching a clue that making mistakes is part of the process. Mm-hmm. And that I may not make perfect actions, but I'm going to army crawl inch by inch and make action because I cannot wait till things are perfect. I cannot wait. That's right. Well, and there's, you know, there's a, I don't know if it's a famous saying, but it's something that I've heard a lot is that you can't change course if you're standing still. You have to start moving and, and adjust as you, as you keep moving. Amen. (laughs) So you've recently started turning your photographs into art. Uh, Not the typical, yeah, not the typical matted and framed photos, but is it what is it called resin art art what's it yes (laughs) this is the biggest news and it is the brightest light to me because it finally explains to me in my heart and soul why I've been meandering the way I have and since I started my photography business and I invested in my beautiful equipment that takes gorgeous photos they have been sitting here on this beautiful computer for all these years and I never felt passionate about matting them and framing them. I know I don't really feel that that makes the image sing. And so I took an art class from my good friend, Laura Van Horn, who is very generous and abundant in teaching people um, art modalities. And when I took her resin class, I then learned how to take my photograph, get that printed, mount it to a beautiful hardwood board. And then you pour this resin epoxy over top of that. And once you do that, you have then a high gloss sheen and protection over your photograph. It is secure. You can wash it down. It can handle the elements. But then it really makes it shine bright. Yeah, I've seen some of it recently, and it is quite spectacular. And the colors are so vivid. And it's interesting what you just said about it can handle the elements. So this would be good for people who have maybe outdoor rooms or places like that, too. Yeah, bathrooms. I have a rectangle one on the back of my stove right now. And it gets splashed on. It deals with heat. And I just take it off, wipe it down. I've done a marketing table at eWomen Network, and I've taken these boards with me, and I've hit the brakes too hard and had one fly forward, and it's so it's so secure. It can handle life's bumps and bruises. Ah, so it doesn't crack. No. I mean, I'm really impressed. So I feel that now I know, finally, my medium, how to get my beautiful images off my computer and out in the world. Hmm. We're almost out of time. So I have to ask you, what is one book or resource that changed your life that you would recommend to others? Oh, yeah. So the book that really lit me up is called Turning Pro. And this is really about by Stephen Pressfield. 
And this book is really about the mindset of accepting that you're a professional, accepting that there is something that needs to be communicated in the world and to give yourself business hours, act like a professional instead of an apologetic artist and empowered entrepreneur. Mm. Yeah, Stephen Pressfield, I love his books. He's he's the one who wrote The War of Art, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're Another they're community. easy reads, but they are very very profound. Well, it's funny, they're easy, and I wanted to get a book that would give me, you know, 10 bullet points of how to make this a successful business in 10 weeks, but what I got was what I really needed, which was the mind shift. Mhm. Yes, you have to treat yourself like a business owner before anyone else will. That's right. So I've taken that lesson. I've blocked out time on my calendar because what I find most challenging is the shiny object scenario. This gets my attention, then that gets my attention. And so I've got to shut that down so I can get control of the situation and be mindful with my actions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If people want to find out more about you and your work, maybe see some of those beautiful images, where can they do that? They would start right now at www.dannymcdennaphotography.com. Can you spell that, please? It's <laughs> a great one. So D-A-N-I-M-C-D-O-N-O-U-G-H photography.com. Awesome. Danny, you are such a delight. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. I will be right back. Are you a speaker who has an inspiring, insightful message that will help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? If the answer is yes, we invite you to become a pro member of the eWomen Speakers Network. We have over 500,000 women connected through 118 chapters spread across North America. We're looking for speakers to share their wisdom and breakthrough ideas. Go to eWomenNetwork.com and join our Speakers Network. The benefits for pro speakers are incredible. Go to eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for joining us. Back now with your host, Kate Fessler. Welcome back. If you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, you'll notice there's a theme of people getting off track, mostly because of things people said to us that discouraged us from a certain path. And years later, returning to that original love, the thing that held our attention and we enjoyed so much that it didn't feel like work. This is why I ask people to go back to their childhood to list the things they used to love when we're working together to create their vision for their ideal life and their right livelihood. Often things come up that have been long buried and the conversation almost always involves a story of someone telling them to get serious. They can't make a living doing that. That work's not supposed to be fun. And all the other well-meaning but very damaging things our parents and people we look up to say that discourage us from pursuing our dream. Ask yourself, as Danny mentioned, what would you do for free if money didn't matter? If you'd like some help figuring this out, the discount offer on my Profiting From Your Passions personalized consultation is available only to podcast listeners. You will not see this advertised anywhere else until March 31st. You will get a copy of the ebook, Finding Your True Calling. You'll do exercises similar to those I shared in my podcasts, Five Ways to Identify Your Ideal Business and Learning to Be an Opportunity Analyst, and other exercises as well. 
You'll send me your answers and then we'll get on the phone, just the two of us, for 90 minutes. We'll talk through what you've come up with and then we'll brainstorm ideas for you. You will leave with one idea that you're excited about and a firm next step toward its creation. I'm throwing in a bonus 30-minute follow-up call 30 days later to talk about any questions you have or any obstacles that came up for you. The normal price for this personalized consultation is $497, but if you send an email to firstclasslife at outlook.com with the subject line podcast discount, you will get it for just $197. That's a $300 discount. Isn't the rest of your life worth it? What's your story? If you'd like to share it to inspire others on this podcast, click on the link at the bottom of the show page and fill out the survey. If it seems like a good fit, I'll be in touch. In the meantime, if you have something to add to the conversation, please leave a comment on my Facebook page, First Class Life Solutions. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate it on whatever service you're using. Follow the show to be reminded of upcoming episodes and please share it with your friends. Next week, I'll be talking about reclaiming your power and purpose. I hope you'll join me. Until then, cheers to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success. is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at ewnpodcastnetwork.com.